welcome to our podcast. I'm Rachel Day, I'm the founder of Flying School. We're a not-for-profit and our aim is to capture the imagination of children to help them learn how to fly, develop their confidence and learn how to help each other fly. On these podcasts, I'll be interviewing a range of different people, asking them to share their stories on what helped them fly and what stopped them so that we can all figure out how to do it ourselves and get some tips and ideas on how we can help our children fly. Really hope you enjoy it. Okay, so hello everyone. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Maisie Byers. Maisie is the founder of Grace and Poise Academy, which is the world's first Muslim ballet school with a unique ballet to poetry syllabus. The Academy is founded upon a passion for child development and raising the Muslim community to make a positive impact in the world. Maisie studied ballet from a young age and trained professionally at the Royal Academy of Dance. After gaining the highest qualifications, she worked across ballet schools in London and the South of England teaching and training students from early years to coaching at a professional level. Maisie's passion for choreography and teaching led her to work as a freelance choreographer, founding and directing a ballet company associated with the Royal Academy of Dance and developing her expertise in ballet education. Maisie reverted to Islam and became passionate about offering ballet to the Muslim community in an artistic and unique way. I first met Maisie last year when we attended a course together and I was struck by her sheer passion and joy to help and inspire children. I'm so inspired by her pioneering spirit coupled with her gentleness and sense of fun. And I would say that Maisie is flying and I just can't wait to hear her story. So thank you so much, Maisie, for finding the space for this conversation. I know that whenever we talk, I always learn so much from you. Is there anything else that you wish I'd said by way of introduction that I've missed out at all, Maisie? Um, No, but thank you for um, the introduction and for your kind words. Always um, lovely to be able to speak with you and have the opportunity to have conversations. I always find that we have such meaningful and um, sort of progressive conversations that are quite reflective and um, they're always very uh, refreshing for me to think in in such a, a dynamic way so thank you for the opportunity of joining you to have a bit of a, a bit of a chat. <laughs> You're welcome and um, just for listeners point of view I'm looking at Maisie um, and she's having a beautiful coffee in her lovely in her lovely space in London is that right Maisie uh we've got some light shining through sometimes I think we just forget that these are conversations where we can see each other because on podcasts it's all about hearing isn't it (laughs) so Maisie I said in the introduction that I thought you were flying but you know am I right would you say you are flying um, so I, I, I mean, I found your your concept of flying and, and the name flying school really fascinating because I think the, the term flying could be used um, for many people in different ways. And I think for me personally, my perspective of flying comes mostly with um, an inward experience rather than an external experience. Um, I think in, in the context of my experience of flying, 
for me, that would mean um, having fulfillment, having purpose, having um, a way of a way of being that that allows you to have that fulfillment and purpose. Um, so for me, my purpose is uh, massively connected with um, my faith um, and my connection to wanting to um, progress within my faith. And so for me, that intention of everything I do roots to that um, substantially. And so that gives me a, a purpose that I think is um, hopefully unshakable. And so regardless on the outside, how it may look or how it, you know, how um, somebody may deem it as successful, whatever I may be doing, I think that intention and that purpose uh, for me highlights that, that internal success and that internal um, sense of flying. Um, and in the same way, having that fulfillment. So I mentioned my faith with purpose, but in terms of fulfillment, it does it does have an aspect, obviously, of faith. But there's also finding as individuals where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are, where our areas of growth are. And so for me, being in a position um, to work, as you said, as a teacher, as an educator and work in this industry, I feel like there's a lot of fulfillment for me in being able to do something that uses the skill sets I've been um, given and what, what I've experienced in my life so far, but in a way that serves my ultimate purpose of what I believe I'm here to do, what my life is for. So yeah, I would say internally, without, without thinking about the result as much, but thinking about the process, for me, flying is, is about the process rather than the product. Yeah, I would say I'm flying in, in that respect. But it's also, for me, I, I always think um, a question of flying. You know, if I just said flat down, yes, I don't know whether that feels like there's a sense of um, arrogance to it. Do you know what I mean? In that sense of, oh, I'm, I'm doing so well or anything like that. But I think, um, I think that internal fulfillment and that internal sense of purpose absolutely feel like I'm flying in that respect um but then it's also for me remembering that there's so much that contributes to that there's the people you're surrounded by the experiences or the situations you may be gifted with as opportunity um and that that massively allows you to then have that purpose and that fulfillment so I think um alongside that sense of flying is a huge sense of gratitude um so yeah in that in that respect um gratefully I, I feel like I'm internally flying yeah <laughs> wow there is so much that you've said there Maisie that I um would love to sort of yeah question and and, ch and and chat to you more about so I think you started with your faith and mm. that giving that that sense or your this sense of internal internally feeling like you're flying can you tell me about your faith is this something have you always been a muslim how how did you how did you manage to acquire such a strong sense of faith um well interestingly i didn't i didn't grow up in a in a um a household that was religious um at all really my family um primarily believe in you know just developing your character and and obviously um developing a good sense of morals um unfortunately i think because of the way my family is, I have huge respect for my parents and my siblings and, and, and the way that they are as people and their way they conduct themselves. Um, so I would say if, it, if it's come seeking faith, if it's come from anywhere, has come from that being surrounded by people that I admire in the way that they, um, the way they conduct themselves. Um, and just seeing, you know, as you would, you know, uh, your, your family and your friends uh, doing good around you, you, that's quite inspiring. So, I'd say it's hugely inspired by by that as you know to begin with 
and then as I grew up I hadn't really ever thought about faith at all and um, it wasn't until my um, sort of early 20s that I started to sort of question you know maybe having a heart you know everyone having a higher purpose or there being something greater um, and then for me um, well I can speak about this a bit later but um, it just this sort of question of where are you going you know where are you going and who are you and um, started to realize, of course, you have those traits, you know, traits or characteristics and habits from family and your, your, the way you've lived, your culture, your upbringing. Um, but I started to sort of think, well, on, on a sort of bigger picture, where am I going as an individual? And that sort of connected me to sort of searching and looking into um, things like that. And, and that's how I then uh, I converted to Islam um, a few years ago. And um, fortunately for me, I feel that it's tied uh, any loose ends together. It's kind of brought a center um, because I always was very passionate about teaching and education and, and sort of providing for people or helping people. But actually, I think it's given a, a depth to it that I didn't have before, um, which, again, allows me to think more internally than externally. You know, it's not about the result of. Um, having a, a successful uh, examination result or, or whatever it may be, but actually the learning process um, that I feel more attached to now. And that's something that, especially Islamically, we believe a lot in the intention rather than the result. So that's a big um, part of why I'm saying with flying, I think it's all to do with that sincerity of your intention. Um, Islamically, we believe that, you know, you, re you receive the reward of what you intended um, to do if it is a sincere intention, regardless of how it actually pans out. So I think that is so, so uplifting as a concept because it's allowing us all to think, well, all I've got to do is try, you know, that that I will just make that step to try. I will work hard, but not to be so attached to a result where quite often we can't control things. There are other factors. We can't control the world around us. So um, I think it's that concept of sort of positivity and putting your best foot forward. Um, and that's sort of really connected with me. Wow, that that is so uplifting, isn't it? And it and it seems to empower us or give us permission. And I think so many times, you know, when I talk about things that stop me flying, it's because I think I might make a mistake or I think I might mm -hmm. get it wrong. And actually, you're what you're talking about with flying is that it's that internal conversation that's important and the extent to which you internally think I'm going to try and do the right thing, the best thing I can do. So, so actually, you know, just picking up on what you said earlier, that it's an internal sense of flying that helps mm. you work out if you're flying. And, and in some ways, I, I guess that's how I've, be, I've come to explain flying. It's more this inner sense of confidence and this feeling of groundedness, which is, is different to sort of getting ourselves out there and and being overly confident it's mm. inner confident and, and there's a difference between the two isn't there yeah absolutely I think um for me that there's a big concept uh, that I love within um, my faith where where we believe that we we don't have value but we have value because of our creator because of God and then there's and therefore there's a concept of um, we can't we're not capable but we are capable because of because of God and, and so for me I know everyone has differences of um, you know faith or whatever it may be but actually 
as a concept, I think that's so lifting to think, like you're saying, there's a sense of ground, being grounded in that we're, we're not all capable, we're not all knowing, we're not all able. Um, but, you know, whether it's because of the people around you supporting you or whether it's because you believe in a, in a higher power as well, facilitating a way or you believe some people just simply believe in, um, you know, fate, you know, what will be will be. And, and so I think it's remembering, uh, for me anyway, that it's not a case of if I can, it's a case of, of trying and then it and then it may um, pan out in that way but even if it doesn't it doesn't mean that the value is in the result and I think that's so important and like you said with, with um, trying something what can hold us back is thinking what if I fail um, and then we're attributing the value to the, to the result and the product rather than the value to the process and so when I'm teaching quite a lot I find with children especially if they're quite um, they've got a mindset to be quite um to be perfectionist in their work and being perfectionist can be amazing because you get that detail, you get the quality. But I also find sometimes it can be inhibiting where um, children can say, well, I am too afraid to try because of that fear of failure. And I think that that comes down to how we educate and how we support children, because we want to show them, well, you know, firstly, you try and the values in your process, you're going to learn, you know, if you fall, you're going to learn something, you get back up again. Um, if it goes wrong, that might be more valuable to you than if it went right because you may have something that people can't just um they can't give you you know you that that process has taught you something that is invaluable in that moment um and so for me it's just always thinking about where is the value is the value in for example getting what i want or is it the value in the way i'm going about it um and so i think that's so important as a as a kind of process because it allows you to then try that, that is wonderful Maisie and I couldn't agree more and it gives you permission to try I don't think we are naturally well you know many of us are not naturally brought up with this thought of being attached to the process rather than the outcome mm. and yet it's the process where we do our learning and where we tend to make a difference and if we're attached to the outcome we might never even experience the process and worse than that, other people won't experience us trying and, and all the benefits that we get from that. So I absolutely love that as a concept. Thank you, Maisie. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you were saying, going back to your childhood, is that your parents' philosophy was, was how, how to grow good characters and mm -hmm. seeing others doing good around you helped you fly. Can, can you give me an example of what you mean by that then? Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a specific, but just in the way my my parents are um, and my family, with the way they they conduct themselves, I think there's a sincerity to wanting to help a lot. There's they're helpers as a family. If I'm to describe all of us, <laughs> we're helpers, we're fixers, um, <laughs> and fixers. Sometimes, you know, it's important to let. Uh, this has kind of changed my ethos slightly because obviously there's a, there's a sincerity and a, a goodness in wanting to help. But there's also um, something I've learned as a teacher specifically where I know that I can't um, I can't do it for them. And I also can't control the outcome and I also can't um, fix things because sometimes by me fixing, I may cause more damage, whereas you've got to let a child uh, explore. And I only learned this as a teacher because I never felt that in my in my upbringing at all. I always felt that that support in um 
whatever I wanted to do. Um, but as a teacher and as an educator, I think it, it can be quite different in, in that respect. And so I've learned a lot about um, when a child is when a child is learning, the process for me has to be uh, very interactive. And rather than a teacher, which might have happened, you know, years and years ago, where they're just they're just told, you know, a teacher just tells the student, this is what you need to do. And that's it. No questions asked. And that's a very old fashioned approach. But obviously that that has existed in the past. I think that the way to get a child to engage with their learning. Has to have certainty and questioning in exploring in child sort of centered um, discovery so they can they can kind of take charge of their own learning, because I think there's a value in them answering the questions for themselves, because you can tell somebody a piece of information and it may not resonate. And you can tell them so many times in the exact same way and it may not resonate. You can tell them in 50 different ways. And yeah, OK, some of them may resonate more, which is why we have to have diversity in the way we communicate and explain things to, to people when we're educating. Um, but even then, you know, is there a way you can get that child to find the answer for themselves? Because then that, that experience that's going to stay with them because it's more valuable than being told. There's something that happens internally when you make a discovery rather than you're told something. Um, so my approach, I mean, obviously there are things I have, to, I have to explain and I try to explain them in multiple different ways, knowing that you've got to accommodate for a range of different learners, a range of different mindsets and people and individuals. And that's one of the main things I love about teaching because no child is the same. You're going to have to explore numerous ways of supporting that child and supporting that individual. But at the same time, I really enjoy working in a way where children can explore and they can think for themselves. Um, so as an example, I quite typically, they, the girls love it. They think it's hilarious. The kids love it when I when I purposely make a mistake and I say, okay, what's Miss Maisie doing wrong? You know, whether Millie to fix what I'm doing, whether they have to move my body into the right position or whether they just um, correct me verbally. And, and because you can see in that moment how enthused they are and how engaged they are in that process of correcting and understanding and analyzing and, and that problem solving. I mean, we can't, we can't um, dictate problem solving. It has to just be explored, right? So all of these um, invaluable and transferable skills, I think, come through creating the right learning environments to support children to thrive in a way that is, is holistic and in a way that supports the individuals rather than a generalization of how someone should learn or how they should think. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Honestly, Maisie, there's so much in, in what you've just said there. I'm just going to repeat a couple of things. So one is that they... They, children need to take charge of their own learning. And one of the ways that, that we can help them do that is by asking them to, to fix things and problem solve and, and um, look at what's going wrong. Because I think what you're sharing is actually what you see is then light up when they mm. feel valued enough to, to, for their opinion and then for their ideas. Um, and the other thing that I, I loved to hear there was this thing around no child is the same. And I think it's very, um, it can often be very easy as a parent or as a teacher to think, oh, you're, you're part of that group of children that like to, you know, um, be a bit rowdy. Or we tend to mm. compartmentalize people into groups because that's our way of knowing how then to cope how different it is if, if we approached every single child 
with this thought that actually they're going to be different to the last one and that they are aren't they there's similarities mm. but, but fundamentally we're all different but I think I don't know if um, as teachers and parents you know whether that's just a really helpful thought to remind ourselves that not only are they different to each other they're different to us as well and our way of learning yeah absolutely and I think also with um, particularly in situations of behaviour, understanding child's behaviour, because there's one thing with educating and the way we facilitate, but actually as teachers or parents or educators, uh, dealing with behaviour can sometimes, that, that can be the particular area where we um, put children in certain boxes or, you know, I heard it, you know, frequently in other contexts, you know, naughty child, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I think it's really important we understand the why because for me, a child is never um, naughty. I don't believe in that. I think naughty is a fun word when, when we're talking about other things or whatever, but actually to think of, of an individual, no one's you know just naughty, that's, that's not the truth of it. There is a reason that child's acting in a way, even if it's negative behavior. For me, I think it's finding where's that negative behavior coming from? Why are they acting out in that way? And how can we support them rather than just reprimanding um, understanding for me seems to be the cure because you can tell a child off um, but if their feelings are misunderstood and they're acting out and they're they're therefore seeking support and attention but we don't we can't identify why then just reprimanding is is uh, you know in the same way as it's a bit like medicating it doesn't always cure the illness it's just sort of pausing it at that you know point in time or fixing at that point in time um, and obviously the idea would be to have a cure rather than constantly medicating it in that respect. So uh, if you can, of course. Um, so I feel like with children, I've had this with, with many children understanding their behavior where on the surface, someone may think, OK, that that child's naughty. And of course, there's a difference between letting children behave any way they want and, and there not being any consequences. Of course, there have to be consequences and it's, you don't condone negative behavior um, at all. But I think it's separating the behavior from the individual. Uh, and uh, a behavior is not an individual. Um, you know, doing something wrong does not identify you. And, and for me, it's separating that because when we're when we're in a space where somebody's behaving negatively, we can get emotionally absorbed in that and feel that then we are so, we're so sort of dealing with our own emotional interpretation of what's going on that we become reactive to it. Rather than seeing the separation between the behavior and the individual, why would the individual cause that, that kind of negative behavior? And therefore, perhaps we need to, perhaps we need to look to the reasons and, and understand that, that child. Um, and so I, I'm a big believer in understanding children. And even in that process of understanding, we can't impose, you know, you can't force a child to want to speak if they're not ready to speak. You can't force a child to identify uh, what's going on if they're not ready to. Um, and I've had this experience uh, very recently where I had some negative behavior happening within a class and it, and it just became the situation of, of telling particular children you know, what do you need right now? This isn't okay. This behavior, you know, and even asking them, do you think this behavior is okay? And quite commonly they'll say, no, you know, I don't think what I did was right. They can see it. They already know that, but they don't know. They haven't got the emotional maturity to know how to deal with that emotion. And that's what we need to educate is it's okay to feel. It's okay to feel angry or frustrated or anxious or whatever it may be, but it's then what you do with that. Do we, we do we recognize it? Do we, um, 
try to unravel it and then do we act in a way that is overcoming those difficult emotions but not suppressing them or do we act out with those emotions and I think that's something that uh, that's a big concept Islamically um, actually but also I think in general life everybody would appreciate that we have to have that emotional recognition and control but not not suppressing those emotions so my tactics would normally be to ask the child what they think of the behavior just calmly ask them you know what what do you think of what's happened and quite commonly I've I have found that they will say well I don't think that that should have happened and then it's going to okay well what do we need now you know do you need some quiet time do you need do you want to talk about it and rather than say right tell me what why you did that which is hugely imposing and we may want to know, and it may be justified that we want to know, but when you do that with a child, if they're not ready to share, you could be putting up more walls with the child and then they're not going to speak to you. So for me, everyone's got different opinions on this, but from my experience, I tend to say to children, would you like to talk about it? And even, even in situations of anxiety, I've had uh, so not negative behavior in terms of behaving uh, badly in a space, but I've had children with a lot of anxiety and I can see suddenly in class, temperaments change um, and I'm thinking that child's quite not quite as they usually are perhaps there's something going on and um, I will just sort of maybe talk to the mum and just say something happened if they want to call me and speak to me then please feel free and I have actually done that with just you know six-year-olds or seven-year-olds you know they've called me and just said Miss Maisie can we have a chat and I said absolutely and it's giving them the space but being being ready to receive that but not dictating it. It's not dictating now is the conversation. Now you tell me what's going on. Now you do this. It's saying, I understand how you're feeling. That's okay. But, but we shouldn't behave in that way. And, and showing them that, would you like if someone else did this? How, how would you feel? And getting that empathy with them and then saying, well, how do you think you should behave in that situation? But in situations of anxiety, you know, just giving them a space to know you can talk to me, but you don't have to. And, and I found that, you know, it's crazy how many children can just walk away from things or um, withdraw. But if you give them a space to just freely, without judgment, um, speak about how they're feeling, particular children I've, that I've noticed an anxiety with, they called me and after we'd had a little chat, I just said, you know, um, how are you feeling today? And, and why were you feeling like that? But rather than imposing and saying, were you feeling like this because... We may be right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'll give you a more specific situation. Um, the girls have just done ballet exams and they just moved up a level. And children are around six or seven, I find they 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 they're just learning that concept of um, of how why you practice something and the value of practice. So you don't just write this bit's easy now. Or I think it's easy, and then I just want to move on. What's next? Um, so we just got around that sort of practice rehearsal, and they were progressing um, with examinations. And then they felt on a high, you know, I've just done my ballet exam. I've I've tried my best, and they feel like they know the work at that point because they practice. But suddenly, new level. It's hard. It's new. It, it's we're exploring different things, and and I think suddenly it's like whoa. You just feel like you drop. I thought I was up here and now I feel like I'm down here. And that happened with quite a few children. But what can happen in that situation is they suddenly go, I don't want to do ballet anymore. But why don't they want to do ballet anymore? It's fair enough if they don't like it, absolutely. But if there's a reason of I can't do it or a narrative of I'm not capable, then we need to understand that. So I had a few conversations with a few children on the phone and they just said, uh, Miss Maisie, I was really good and now I'm not very good anymore. 
I said, oh, so when did you start feeling like that? Well, after the ballet exam. And then I said, well, what do you notice is different? What's different since the ballet exam? And even though I know what's going on, even though I kind of predicted in the session, I think she's finding it hard. I think she's feeling overwhelmed. And I think she's lacking confidence now and wants to withdraw because she's got a fear of failure because the focus is on the product rather than the process. So having these conversations and saying, well, okay, so what's the worst can, that can happen? Oh, that everyone else will get it and I won't get it right at all, Miss Maisie. So is that a bad thing if we make mistakes? Yes. Why is it a bad thing? Because, because it, I won't be very good. But is there anything good that can come from making mistakes? Well, yeah, I, I guess I would learn how to do this. And then I think, ah, so if there is there something good there? But when you go through that thinking with them, rather than telling them, it's, you know, rather than making a statement, oh, this is just part of learning, you know, actually getting them to do the thinking, get them to go on the process. And like I was saying before, now they fixed it. They've worked it out. It's clicked rather than me telling them, oh, it's fine. You'll be okay. Carry on with ballet. You know, you'll be fine. No, understanding the feelings. Now they've, they've solved it. And, and interestingly, the next week, a particular child that I spoke to, uh, it's happened with all of them, but I'm thinking of a particular story. She was so excited, so excited to learn. And at the moment we're learning on Zoom, we're not learning live, but she just wrote in the chat box, thank you, I feel much better now. And for me, that is the most rewarding thing because it's not about where that child ends up. It's about giving them the, the process. You know, if they don't get the full marks in a ballet exam, for me, that's not as interesting. My, my interest is in, did we support them to be the best they can be? Um, so I think it's all about that, providing spaces for children to be heard, to be listened to without imposing, um, without dictating and allowing them to guide their thinking because it has more value. Gosh, Maisie, there is so much in what you <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm just going to try and um, sort of pick out a few things just to summarize, really. And um, one of the first things that you talked about is um, when when you see poor behaviors to to try and understand and start with why, mm. but to separate um, the language around that behavior from being about the individual to being about the behavior. And yeah. that is probably one of the most powerful things I think we can do for people, because what we tend to do with children is we label them. You are naughty. You are mean. You are mm. um, messy. You know, we tend to give those labels. And what from my experience, you know, in my own experience growing up, when you were given a label like that, it sticks because mm. because we just assume that must be true about us. If we just change that label to you know, that thing that you did was a bit naughty or wasn't the right thing to do or, you know, that behaviour wasn't great, then actually we're not, they can change their behaviour, but they can't change who they are. And that's, so suddenly we're giving them permission to sort of own it. And what I heard that you do so brilliantly was help them figure it out on their terms. So we are desperate as the teacher or the parent to say, why are you behaving that way? We need an answer. We need to know now. And just not rushing in to find that answer, but to say, would you like to talk about it? On their terms, they see, you know, you, they fix it themselves. Mm. Um, if they're allowed to do that. I just loved the stories that you, that you shared there. Um, and, and actually, 
the, the shift in energy. So that lovely story at the end where the child was thinking, I'm ready to give up now because I'm not as good as everybody else. And children look at that all the time, don't they? Look mm. at their colleagues, their peers. They can tell when they're not as good. So if we say you're great, if they're feeling not that great, we're not really going to do anything for them in that situation. So what what I saw happen from that story is that you created a sense of a new sense of energy and inspiration by letting them solve that problem and, and realize that mistakes are okay because they lead to us being yeah. what we do. Absolutely. And I think like you said, not saying, not give not telling them you're amazing because they can see it and, and that's not the answer. We may think our children or our students are amazing because we can see the potential and of course they are you know they've all got unique potential but saying at that point in time when they feel like they're struggling you're amazing well they know that's not that's not connected with how they're feeling so and even if they were it's not about that it's about their internal experience and their perspective so I think like you're saying telling them mistakes are okay you know and, and having that conversation to get them to really fully understand why they're okay um, and the value in them and, and sometimes you know talking about um, you know, the way that we interact with challenge, you know, the person, you can give an example, who has more value in the situation where, um, I'll just use ballet exams as an example again, but someone uh, gets full marks in their ballet exam, but they were so grumpy, they were so um, rude to everybody, uh, they, were, they were very unkind in the process, they were very angry, but they got what they wanted. Right. And then and this is in terms of character at this point. Um, and, and, and then there's another person who who gets uh, you can say they get the same, but they get the same results. They get full marks. But in the process, they were patient. They just kept trying when they found it difficult. They just picked themselves up. They tried again and they were kind to everybody around them, supportive of everyone else's success. Um, and then the kids can see, whoa, the, the kid that, you know, is trying so hard and is nice to everybody because you'd rather be that. Um, but that's learning how to apply that um, in everything that we're doing. So it's about the effort. It's about the way we hold ourselves, the way we conduct ourselves. Because if we focus on that, I feel as a teacher, the product comes. The product will come anyway. But and this is a big thing in teaching, because my experience of ballet teaching sometimes the teachers are so concerned with the result of can they get that movement you know how am I going to get that kid to get that movement but it's not how are you going to get that kid to get that movement it is how are they going to get that movement we're not we're not in charge we're not controlling that result they're controlling that result we're just laying you know the paving down for them to walk on but we're not making them walk so I, I feel like there's a huge difference in that and the result will hopefully follow but we've got to have the right focus on the process and, and and I think when you don't have the focus on the process you can do damage to the child and, and my experience uh, without going into too many specific stories I I feel this is in my teaching been a big um, focus because I feel that I had some experiences in my learning um, with with um, teachers where they would become so frustrated and I could see they wanted a result from me but the anxiety and the pressure that that built up within me became a huge problem and and sort of it created a narrative of you can't you're not capable um where i felt that i was hugely misunderstood and there wasn't a patience with me or perhaps even you know it was taught in one way and that one way could it was not was not sort of um 
the teacher wouldn't facilitate for that to be taught in other ways. Um, so rather than the focus being about me, it became about the teacher. And, and I think that's so important that we check in with ourselves. You know, who is this about? Who is this for? Is this for me or is this for them? Um, and I think that's how it's, it's sort of modeled that that negative experience hopefully has turned into a positive one in the way I want to support the kids around me to do that. You're so right there, Maisie, aren't you? And I'm just going to repeat the thing that you said there, which is as teachers and parents, our job is to lay the pavement, not to make the result happen. We're laying the mm. pavement to invite them to be able to walk on it and create mm. the best results for them. But actually, you know, if if our children are successful or not, it's not that's that isn't that result isn't about us. It's about them. Yeah, absolutely. You've shared so much around how you teach and how you bring out the best in others in terms of flying and how you've tapped into your upbringing and also some of the moments really where you're, you were taught maybe in a way that just wasn't helpful for you. And, mm. and, and I guess in terms of what's coming out of this for me, the insights are around um, the fact that as teachers and parents, we can only control the environment that we create, not, not the end result. And actually, we've just got to put our faith and trust in our children to mm. get the results that they're, they're going to be right for them. So, Maisie, anything else that you've learned over the years that's helped you fly or that stopped you fly that you wanted to share? Um, no, but you made, you made me think of something then when you said uh, about... Um, you know laying sort of paving the way for them because actually sometimes by by not trying to uh, how can I put this I, I think sometimes we we can make a child think we doubt their capability whereas when you put the trust there that trust does a lot and so I think also an, a lovely aspect of of learning can be integrated with responsibility and trust and and believing that they can do more than we sometimes you know think they can uh because then that child feels that you're not limiting their their growth um and so something that i i've done recently which might be nice to share is um with um my year two students and and upwards um when we're learning some new material i know i want them to really be able to memorize the material of the ballet exam and to get them to memorize I know just getting them to <laughs> repeat repeat they get bored you know they're, they're not necessarily you can't you know you can't, and also you can't test them you can't say right you on your own show me you can remember it because that's stressful there's anxiety so I wanted to create a space where they feel the trust and they feel the um support and then they would just be able to um without even noticing they're like oh I can do it because we haven't put the pressure and the anxiety so what I started to do was I said oh who wants to play teacher and they all looked at me a bit confused and I said well um let's pretend I'm a student and you're Miss Maisie today and so I'd pick a student first that felt a bit more comfortable so I'd say uh, for example Miss Nora can you come up to the front do you want to show everybody how to do it and they'd be so excited oh yes I'm going to be a teacher and it's playing a game and you know, I have to say, you have to be really, really quiet, be very respectful. And at the end, you have to say, thank you, Miss, you know, whoever it is, thank you, Miss Nora. And the child feels so rewarded in that moment that they are, all of their peers respect them. Everybody gave them the time and the teacher trusted them. And that's a huge thing. The teacher trusted that child to be able to deliver something to the rest of the room. I didn't think, oh, you're not capable. And, and in that process, yes, she may forget it. And then I just sort of give a few hints 
but it's not taking over. It's it's seeing when when does she want support? And I can just say, if you need a bit of help, just, you know, let me know. And I can whisper in your ear and you can carry on. So she still feels like she's achieving. She still feels that she's got the responsibility. She's got the control. She's got the respect. And in that process, um, I found we were doing it and we were having to keep you know, records, who's had a turn, who hasn't had a turn, who's teaching, who's not teaching. And even with new children, new children arrive, who wants to be a ballet buddy? Who wants to make that child feel at home today? You And they're so excited, you know, so many hands shoot up, please, can I be the ballet buddy? Because they want the responsibility. And so for me, using responsibility and trust then enables to do the, the thing that you want them to do. So by the time we, we played all these games, weeks and weeks, that I said to them, right, we're going to do a ballet exam soon. And I said, and they said, will you be able to help us? I said, no. And they said, so we do it all by ourselves. And I said, yes, but you've done that before, haven't you? And they said, oh, we were teachers. Oh, I do know it. So they realized then, oh, I know how to do it. I'm fine. But we never had that anxiety, the stress, um, you know, and if there is any anxiety or stress, it's always telling the child, look, we want you to succeed. You know, well, I'm going to help you. What do you need? I will help you as much as you need. And then you tell me when you're ready um, so they can lead the way. But so rather than saying, you can say sometimes, you know, I think you're ready. Do you think you're ready? But not attributing the value to our opinion. Sometimes it's not, it's not all about what we think. It's about how they think. So for me, it was just an aspect of giving responsibility and giving and showing that trust and that respect, because then when they feel that they have that sense of value in the class, whether it's to their peers or the teacher, then their motivation starts to rocket and rather than focusing on an external motivation which obviously that does exist in the world we have you know you get a promotion you may do well in it you may get an award or something that obviously exists for me knowing that exists is fine but also focusing on that intrinsic motivation can really make the difference of that child's capability because if they are intrinsically motivated they are doing it not because of the result anymore they are doing it because they are trying for the sake of the process and so for me that that trust that responsibility helped them to go I'm focusing on the process so I wasn't saying as a teacher you need to memorize this I was saying I want you to try and show everybody how to do it and that changed the whole thing and then they could they could then achieve that extrinsic result but the process allowed them to be motivated intrinsically that sense of trust and responsibility made them feel I have value I'm, I'm useful, I'm helpful, um, I'm working hard. And that for me is them, they are, fly, they are flying in that moment because they can feel internally that I will try, I will try my best and I will be the best I can be. It's not saying I'm amazing in a, in a sense of arrogance like you, you know, we were talking about before. It's saying I will try, I will aspire to be the best I can be and I won't give up. Um, and that's, you know, regardless of the result, then there's the value in that moment. Mm. Uh, wonderful, Maisie. Honestly, you, you get me speechless at times because I just love how you teach and I love how you create that, that sort of sense of intrinsic motivation within your students. I, I think that that's a real gift. Um, it's not an easy job as a teacher. It really isn't. Um, but giving responsibility and trust what you're doing in essence is transferring belief to them. Um, so mm. I think there's a lot of children who, and I think, think about my upbringing as well, that we may not have that belief. And, and, but if someone has belief in us, we find it. 
Um, and I'm just wondering, just before we leave that wonderful example, what do we, what happens with the children who say, I don't want to be a teacher? How do we help them transfer that belief? Because there might be some mm. that are, you know, it's just not their way of you know, more introverted. They don't like to be center stage. That doesn't mean to say they can't fly inside. Mm. But how do we transfer some beliefs? Yes. Well, in that situation, I have had children say, you know, I don't want to do it. And sometimes I can say, well, that's fine. Would you like to do it next week? And quite commonly I get a yes, okay, I'll do it next week. And um, so I say, well, you tell me when you're ready if you'd like to do it. But of course, you have to prepare for the example that a child just never wants to do that. And we're all different in our characters. So then I think it's replacing it with an opportunity where they feel it suits them. Because again, it's character, isn't it? So someone may feel like they, they love sitting at the front and doing that. But another child may feel this is just not me. That's not my strength. It's not my area where I like to excel. And so finding, again, this is where I was talking about individuals, because we're not all the same. I can use that example. And it may, you know, many children may thrive from it but there may be some that don't want to do that so I think it's preparing for different things of responsibility so sometimes I just think about that particular individual and what what will support them whether it's some other responsibility some children are more studious and they like to be note-taking or they like to do feedback so other things I do are um you know if, the, if we're learning an exercise I might say to a child do you want to tell everybody three points that might help them with this so rather than demonstrating the whole thing they're telling someone or if they're not even confident to vocalize you know it may be that they could write it down and I can read it out or it's just facilitating and 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 another lovely thing to do is also feedback you know with the kids um we do improvisation at the end of every class which I think is really important for them to have a space where they've they've learned skills but now they can be creative and there's no right or wrong and I tend not to join in with an improvisation because the children will think my version of creativity is correct rather than exploring and, and not copying me <laughs> so I only join in if it's desperate because you know kids really need a lot of encouragement but otherwise I really try to stay out of it so they can just explore and and a lovely thing we've started doing which is actually one of my students ideas was to have a partner look at each person so you half the group are in doing their improvisation half the group are, and then they watch and then they just say one thing that they appreciated about what they had done one thing they enjoyed and and sometimes I do explore that further with you know a medal and a mission one thing they did well and if I've given specific criteria it might be one thing to improve upon um within certain parameters of what we may be focusing on that day but just for confidence boosting appreciation you know I really liked when you did this because you're building that worth and confidence um in, in that student at that point in time so I think yeah to answer what you're saying just finding numerous ways there's endless things you can do so it's just being creative with how would that individual succeed in this sort of environment you know what do we want we want them to understand how to do something or learn or memorize how to do something how can they how can we see them having that responsibility around that in a way they're comfortable with and sometimes ask them you know mm -hmm. uh, you know would you like to do a special job what special job would you like to do today and sometimes it's as simple as can I give the stickers out to everybody at the end they love that you know everyone has to sit down cross their legs and then you can give the colors and <laughs> so it's just seeing you know working with the individual yeah I love that you know that sometimes I think as as teachers or and parents is that we feel like we have to know the answer so we've decided mm. to lay the paving but what's the right paving for this child and what do I do and and we feel an incredible amount of responsibility and I, and it 
rang true to me when I went into a classroom and I was working with a class and I, I came out after an hour and I was absolutely exhausted. And a friend of mine who's a teacher said to me, well, clearly you've done all the work in that class. <laughs> but actually, um, you know, the kids haven't done anything. They've just watched you work hard. And I, it was a brilliant reminder of, I don't have to have all the answers. And, mm. you know, how can I possibly know sometimes what the right paving is? So saying to the child, you know, what's, what's your thing? It, obviously, I, you know, you see other people doing their thing if they're teaching. What's the thing that you would you would like to try that you don't know if you can do yet? You don't know that this, mm. this is your space to try because we're all here to support you. And um, so an invitation, yeah. I think, is is lovely and and different jobs. And, you know, everything that you're you're saying, Maisie, is about allowing them to fly. Um, that's what you're doing. Yeah. And and being that person I I imagine when you know when they're older and they look and I do a podcast with them and I say how did you learn to play <laughs> well I had this wonderful ballet teacher called Miss Maisie and, <laughs> and she really treated me as an equal and she invited me to fly so so inspirational Maisie I'm just going to um I know we're coming to the end of our podcast and I in this second series I've decided just to get a bit more information from some of our guests right? <laughs> just getting them to share maybe a glimpse of some of the factors or the things that help them learn to fly is there a song or poem that when you listen to it, it helps you fly I actually love poetry obviously because my my whole school is doing ballet to poetry uh which which is amazing um I wouldn't say I've got a particular poem, but something that popped to mind was um, a book, if you don't mind me saying that um, instead. Um, when I was younger, I was particularly um, obsessed with Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And um, I think there are two, there are two um, quotes in that book that I love. And one is when the caterpillar is talking to Alice and the caterpillar says, who are you? And Alice says, I hardly know, sir. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning but I think I must have been changed several times since then. <laughs> and I love that because you're in that moment, Alice is saying, I'm growing uh, every moment. I, I'm probably changing. I'm developing. And for me, I loved, I've always loved that concept of um, we don't just, we don't just hit the level and that's it. You know, we're, we're always growing. We're always learning. And, and like you're saying, not knowing the answers sometimes with these, with the kids, I go home all the time and I think, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure I did the right thing. And I'm not sure that was the right thing for that particular child. And, and it's having the humility to know we're learning and we all learn from each other. Just because I'm the teacher doesn't mean I'm not the one who's in a learning process as well. Like I'm, I'm learning from them. Um, so I love that concept of who are you and, uh, and thinking, well, I'm always changing. So how can I tell you an answer, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then there's another quote that I particularly love, um, in that book where, um, it sort of features, where are you going? Which I, I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, um, where the cat says to Alice, uh, sorry, Alice says to the cat, uh, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? And then the cat says that depends a good deal on, um, where you want to get to. And it's not just saying like the direction, uh, you know, how do you do this? Well, where do you want to go? You know, it's, it's so lovely, you know, as a teacher as well to think, you know, if you are in the position of the cat to say to Alice, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to be able to do? 
And that I think is so invaluable because rather than just directing and holding up all these signposts and these arrows, you're asking the child, where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? Uh, rather than dictating. So I think for me, that's uh, I love those concepts in, in uh, Alice Wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think as um, when we're asked a question, particularly for a teacher or a parent, our tendency is to want to answer the question that we're asked. It's actually much harder to collect mm. that back and go, but what, what do you think first? And um, mm. where is it you're trying to get to? So, but how powerful that can be. Because I think when we ask questions to other people, essentially we, we're trying to find the answer ourselves, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. Maisie, you, I've learned so much from you. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we finish? Um, no, only that I think for any, what this relates to everybody, just that these conversations on, you know, what you're doing is so important with flying because this relates to everybody that I think what you're doing is so valuable to expose people to this way of thinking and this way of questioning um, to have these uh, such vital conversations they you know these conversations are so imperative um, because either you've got children or you've got you're, you're an educator of sorts or you guide somebody or just as individuals the way we interact with our own growth and the growth of people around us I think this is so imperative so I just want to say I really appreciate what you're doing with with the space you've created yeah Maisie I am so inspired by our conversation this morning and and how much I've learned from you all the nuggets of wisdom um, that you've shared with us and the stories of, of how inspiring you are for the children who come to your ballet school uh, grace and poise um, so thank you so much and I really hope that when lockdown's finished I can come and visit you and and meet the children I would love to do that love to do yeah that. absolutely you're more than welcome <laughs> so for any listeners who would like to find out more um, on what you're doing and your work Maisie where, where should we direct them to um our website is graceandpoise.co.uk so you can find us there or um instagram you know grace and poise academy you can find us there as well so um yeah and then they can get in contact if they would like to ask any questions or have any conversations wonderful and i'm just going to check with you Maisie, because obviously it's a ballet school where, where you see people physically so it's only in london at the moment is that mm. Yes, I can imagine them being franchises all over the world because it's, it sounds absolutely an amazing concept. So really wishing you all the best luck in the world. And thank you so much for, for joining me today and sharing your stories. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Bye for now. See you, Maisie. that's the end of our podcast for today i really hope you've enjoyed our conversation please do give us some feedback and please feel free to share this podcast with as many people as you can so that we can all learn how to help children fly if you would like more information visit our website at www.flyingschool.fun look forward to seeing you next time <laughs>